Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Idol Australians with James Madison and Osher Ginsberg. Exploring the bits you might have missed from Australian history and Australian culture. Alrighty, here we go again. Yes, it is Idol Australians. I'm James Matheson. That's Osha Ginsberg. I think, yeah, I still am. Yeah, yeah. How are you? Good, mate. Good, mate. Ready to explore another little bit of Australian history, a little bit of nugget of our uh, collective cultural consciousness. At what point does it stop being nostalgia and start becoming history? At what point does it stop being pop culture and start becoming history? Uh, just when we sort of run out of pop culture stories that we can think of. No, no, no. I mean, like, an event. Like, at what point did, say, for example, Australian Idol, once it, when does it stop becoming uh, reminis- like reminiscing and then stop becoming nostalgia and start becoming, oh, no, this is a historical thing that happened? Yeah, I think, I think historical things are more for your serious-natured events and, and, and things that fall into sort of pop-cultural fields often just get recalled as nostalgic. You're not going to teach kids about Charlene and Scott getting married on Neighbours in history class, are you? That's not going to be in the history books. It is because they, they tell you, like, if, if all else fails, just if you want to disappear, move to Queensland. Right. It's a life skill. That, I guess now that might be Darwin. Kids just know if you've really made a mess of things, one-way ticket. Sydney to Darwin. Sydney to Darwin. That's how you kill off a character in Australian TV Never these coming days. Back. Never coming back. I think that's for everybody. You've been Darwin. There's a lot of pe- no, a lot of people there. Nobody's actually from there. <laughs> it's such an amazing city, isn't it? It's got a lot yeah, going on. It's incredible. Less and less so these days, but you know, twenty, thirty years ago, Darwin was a bit of a wild west. Yeah. Um, a lot of characters who'd sort of found themselves living in that city because of circumstances beyond their control and some circumstances they were trying to <laughs> get away from that they may have created themselves. Um, do you remember that biker pub we went to? I do remember going to a biker pub and I remember walking in there and it felt like one of those westerns where the saloon doors swing open and the piano <laughs> player stops playing. When us city kids from Sydney um, roll into a biker bar in Darwin. Oh. And I've, there were some pretty rough neck people in there, like people who a lot of face tattoos before face tattoos were a thing. Not artistic face tattoos, face tattoos that were codes for I've done shit. And I remember asking the bar lady about what it's like working there. She goes, oh, we don't have any security. We tried and any authority figure here just makes things worse. So the boys just take care of themselves. Mm. And that kind of blew me away. Like there's this, they got to a certain point where they're like, all right, 
just take care of yourselves. You have your own code. You have your own your own set of rules and laws around how you should treat each other. We'll let you police it. And she said, and everything's been fine ever since. But they're probably right, you know. There's a lot of times that authority figures escalate situations, you know, and, and that was a, just their presence. a part of the Wild West. I wonder how it's going. I'm sure it's still a bit of a cultural institution there. So swing by if you're ever in the Northern Territory. Don't order a shandy. That would be my tip. Do not, I repeat, <laughs> order a shandy. <laughs> this week's episode, we're going to explore... Uh, a part of Australian TV history, Osh. Um, for many years, you and I were a duo on Australian television on Network 10 for almost 10 years, hosting a regular show that built, you know, really loyal following. And um, we weren't alone. There was another show that featured two young male co-hosts who loved to hang out and muck around and take the piss and became part of many people's childhood growing up. I'm talking, of course, about the boys from Cheese TV. Did you watch Cheese sort of growing up? Oh, look, Jimmy, once I'd finished watching Aerobics Oz style, uh, there they were in the mornings. Uh, Jade and, and Ryan, they were – I, I worked um, overnight shifts, so sometimes I wasn't quite asleep by like 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning when they were on. And they ran for a couple of hours, I think, before Bert Newton started. And so, yeah, I'd flick on the telly and, and, and watch them in the morning. They were these young, young kids, like teenagers, and just taking the piss, taking the absolute piss, which I loved. Oh, my God. I, loved it. I totally forgot about Aerobics Oz style. That has to be an Never episode, forget. surely. We have to do <laughs> Effie. Effie Michaels. I can't even believe that that's that we haven't done an app on that. But yes, sandwiched in there was Cheese TV, a morning TV show that featured a heap of great cartoons um, from uh, Inspector Gadget, Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, Garfield, and it developed such a, a massive cult following. And there's so many kids around the country who who would have. You know, been late for their bus on a weekday morning oh, watching yeah. Ryan and Jade do their ridiculous skits or their just madcap fun yeah. in the studio. I'm kind of jealous because what I got when the morning cartoons, in Brisbane at least, we had Agro, who eventually went national. Uh, but before Agro, we had um, Boris's Breakfast Club, which was uh, a bloke by the name of Eric Summons, I think a magician, a cabaret magician dressed up as a a black knight doing a strange accent playing Robotech in the mornings. It was always very, very weird. We never got what Jade and Ryan were doing in the mornings, which was these weird kind of almost postmodern piss takes of uh, kids' ideas of what adults were into. You know, they were doing, they were ripping off the TV shows that were in prime time and quite well. Yeah, own. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was I think it, it did so well because it was young kids as hosts talking to young kids as viewers and with the same sort of sense of humour, using the same sort of language. And, yeah, it was a really great way to grow up in this country, you know, watching those TV. For those of us who got to watch TV in the morning, you know, uh, two young guys, Ryan Lappin and Jade Gatt. Ryan was 14 when he started and I think Jade was only a couple of years older and they went on to 
be uh, TV friends in the morning from 95 to about 2005 before it abruptly ended. So to do the old Idol Australian treatment, joining us right now is one half of the Cheese TV team, Ryan Lappin. Ryan, thanks for joining us. And the best half, I might add. I mean, you would say that though. You're here. I would. Hey, thanks a lot for having us on, guys. I guess one thing that's kind of interesting and we can't look over this is I was 28 when we started Idol and I was, what, 35 when it ended. There's not much difference between 28 and 35, all right? You were 15 when you started. You're 25 when you finished. Humongous difference. Like you had to like – grow physically you had to deal with your body changing you had to deal with you know all kinds of different things the testosterone is telling you to do and Mm -hmm. before the internet really you're on free-to-air television when people are just going nuts when they see your face because you're an actual human oh my god you're in front of me my god what do you mean you do groceries that would have been really full-on yeah uh well it was definitely a change and what happens really is that the, the world changes for you. You tend not to really change that much, but the world around you starts recognizing you and coming up to you and, you know, wanting your autograph or like I was really, really bad when I started GCV. I felt like I had something to offer, but I hadn't found it yet. So if you go to the first episodes, they're really, really bad. Jade was good. Like he was there but he was three years older than me so he had a little bit more time to mature but when i went for the audition i knew that jade was going to get it they'd be stupid to not have cast him he was perfect you know he was very gregarious and uh very mature for his age funny and animated and actually i was uh, a little bit more on the shy side you know i kind of had a comedy bone in me but i hadn't really developed it yet so it was um, it was something that, yeah, I had to develop over time. And Jade and I became friends, as I'm sure the same thing happened to you guys. You got to know each other. You went to war together, so to speak. And you develop an, a, a very unique bond. But I started getting the gist of it after a while, right? I started sort of experimenting a little bit more. I started knowing Jade a little bit better. And the chemistry naturally got better between us. You talk about going to the audition. What do you know about the show when you turn up for that very first audition? Right. Well, I first heard about it in a newspaper clipping that my mum had found. She said, oh, look at this. They're testing out like teenagers to go for this kid's show. And I went, oh, man, like because I had an agent at that time, but she hadn't sent me for that. And I said, man, I'd love to go for that. What's going on? So I think my mum, good old mum, right, she got in touch with the agent and said, hey, you should go for that. And suddenly I was going to the audition and I I did hear there was about 75 kids going for it. So when I got to the audition, there was just lines and lines of kids. And But what I noticed was that um, they all had some things written down for what they were going to say when they were in front of the camera. I didn't know you had to do that. So I just made it up. I just went in there and, and winged it. And I think they were probably looking for someone that could wing it, that could sort of be a little bit spontaneous and not have to rely on anything that was written down. So I got the call back and I don't know if you guys, you probably do know, sometimes you go to an audition and you have a good feeling about it. You go in, you think, I think they liked that, you know, and I got that feeling. And then the 75 kids were whittled down into eight and it was Jade and I that were uh, one of those eight. 
or two of those eight, we knew each other at school. He was three years above me, and we used to see each other at castings a lot. And he would always come over to me. He was a nice guy. He would come up to me and start talking to me. Hey, man, how you doing? You know, where usually you'd kind of sit and sort of do this. Jade was a lot more gregarious than that. So he came over and struck up a conversation. And then everything would go back to normal when we were at school. We'd just give each other the head nod when we saw each other. So it was kind of faded in a way. And it, it would have sort of, it wouldn't have cost Channel 10 as much money because we lived in the same area as well. So they could transport us to Channel 10 much cheaper, right? <laughs> you know, two for one kind of thing. But he was really cheeky on, on the, the final audition. He was really funny because he's the type of person that will just do things, you know, like that aren't necessarily kosher. He turned on the monitor in the wardrobe and and the wardrobe lady said, oh, I don't think you're supposed to do that. He's like, yeah, we're fine. And he, so he turned on the TV and then he started flicking the channels. And one of the channels was the live feed of the auditions that were taking place downstairs, right, on the TV. So we could see what the other people were doing. And I really took note of that. The other people were kind of talking to each other. And I thought, no, use this opportunity, man. Watch what these people are doing and find out what they're doing wrong. What I noticed was they were all fighting for attention. There was like they'd set two people up and then they'd set another two people up and then they'd set him up with him just to try and find the right combination. And I waited for when Jade and I were set up together because we kind of knew each other and I knew that he was good. I knew that he was going to get the job, right? And I said, right, listen, I looked at that live feed and they're fighting with each other all the time. It doesn't look like they're cohesive like a team. I said, you go out and say, hi, I'm Jade. I'll say, hi, I'm Ryan. We'll both point to the camera and say, you're watching Cheese TV, right? So when we started doing that, I think that to anyone watching it, it would have seemed like it because suddenly these two, I don't know what it is. They just seem to work well together. But that was um, a plan just to sort of get the foot in the door and it worked out. That's pretty savvy at 14. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was only because he flicked on that TV that I was aware of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. I probably would have been doing the same thing, you know. But there's that illusion of coming on and having something that's pre-worked out that just comes across immediately better. It seems very cohesive. So after that, apparently, I only found out later, but Jade said Jade was told that he had the job. And there was another guy that they wanted to set him up with, right? It was either me or the other guy. And, and they asked Jade, which one do you like better, you know? And he said, Ryan. <laughs> so that was it. That was the Jaden Ryan show, you know. At the time, what was the, the Cheese TV created for? I mean, was Channel 10 trying to fill a gap? Did they see a market they wanted to hit? Were they like, oh, there's big money in this uh, cartoon morning slot? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think in retrospect, there was two people that are integral to it. They came up with the idea. It was Bill McQueen and Denise Blazik. They had the idea, I think, for two, you know, teenagers sneaking into Channel 10 and inventing their own show. And it was the first show, apparently, Cheese TV, the first kids show maybe to involve the internet and then have its own web address and all that sort of stuff, which Jade and I had no idea about at that point anyway. We didn't know what it was and we didn't use it. But they knew because they were savvy. Uh, so you basically had two kids that were able to connect with an audience of their peers. So you weren't watching aggro who were kind of older or a puppet or it was it was a little bit more like, hey, guys, we've got these cartoons for you. Hey, we love them. You'll love them as well. That's right. You're, you're up against a puppet. 
<laughs> yeah, which I loved. I grew up watching Agro. I loved Agro. It was hilarious. He's hilarious. The whole show was great. Uh, but uh, we also grew up, you know, watching like Full Frontal and Fast Forward and stuff like that. I did anyway. And I used to love the sketches. So after a while, we just started doing sketches. You know, we started taking the mickey out of people and we would, anyone that was on TV, we would do, including you guys. You know, we did you guys a few times, right? And we did Rove, we did Steve Irwin, anyone that was on TV, we would do. I did Billy Connolly because he was, he was really huge at that time because he'd done the Australian tour and it was all just good fun. It was, um, we felt like we had a lot of leeway because the show wasn't live, right? A lot of people thought it was live, but it wasn't. We we shot all of the segments in one uh, chunk every Tuesday. So Tuesday was the day that we did Cheese TV, and we would do some outside stuff now and then. But that would be, you know, that would come up now and then. What's it like being twenty and having a six day weekend? Well, it becomes normal after a while. That's <laughs> the issue. It doesn't matter what you do, right? It just becomes normal. And any strange job that you might have, if you do it long enough. You start taking it for granted a little bit because you always kind of feel like it's going to be there. Um, so at first it was great because it's like winning the lottery. Getting on TV is literally like winning the lottery. And it could have been anyone, you know. It literally could have been anyone doing that show. It just happened to be me. Uh, so, yeah, at first it was great. You know, you get the recognition, you're on TV, it's, and it's a bit of a crutch, especially have you, if you have self-esteem issues or whatever. It's like, well, I'm on TV, or you can at least say that in your head, right? Um, and it makes meeting girls a lot easier as well because they kind of come up to you. You know, it's like, aren't you that guy? And it's like, yes, I am. You know, so, which <laughs> no is nice because not about. everyone has that. You know, usually you're the one that has to approach and do all of that stuff, right? You know, Yeah, uh, it, it was fun. Life was great. And it was just a fantastic period where, for me, it was just like a blank slate. You know, it was a, a blank canvas that we could paint on and uh, and express ourselves comedically and say whatever we, we wanted to a certain degree. I loved it. What do you think people still love it today when they think about it? Kids who grew up watching Cheese TV have a real fondness for it. I mean, it, it, it's different to any other just cartoon that they would have watched. There was something about it. Was it that it was you guys as kids talking to kids as their equal? Is, is there something in that around it? I asked myself that as well. I, I, I wouldn't be the best to answer it. I think that probably some fans would be the best ones to ask about that. I can only speculate that all of the things you said are totally valid when it comes to it. You know, the fact that they grew up with us and we were kind of a similar age to them. Secondly, I think that the cartoons were really good. We have been imprinted on their memories alongside the cartoons. Third, I think that we just had a really fantastic time doing it. You know, you tend to uh, find it very endearing when you're watching people just enjoying what they do. We really had a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, our segments were so small, though, that we didn't sort of feel like anyone was watching or really cared. So we would just say whatever we wanted, try and get it out as quick as possible. Whatever idea you have, say it, bang, bang, bang. And if someone says something that's a bit off or whatever, then we'd just have to re-record it. And there's also the fact that Jade and I kind of just left. We were just suddenly gone. Right. So for that 10 years, people growing up with us, growing up with us, and then suddenly, boom, we were just not there anymore. 
And we never really said a, a, a proper goodbye or did any interviews afterwards or anything. It was just kind of, well, that's over. I think that a lot of maybe kind of strong nostalgia probably built from the fact that we were just suddenly not there anymore. And people started sort of missing it, you know, like they did with Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. You know, you kind of miss Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. But the, the issue is they they bring it back and people go, great, it's back. And they don't care. They don't watch it. They're just glad it's back. So if Cheese TV, for instance, was to come back, a lot of people would be happy, but it wouldn't necessarily mean it would, it would be the same. I think there's something in that as well around kids really love making each other laugh. And, you know, when they're watching – and this is why YouTube is huge for kids as well. They're able to find creators and content makers who are their own age laughing at the same things they are with their friends. Whereas I think during that time on TV, especially in Australia – there was no humour being generated by kids for kids. It was all adult humour that we were either dumbing down or that they would have to try and look up to to try and get. But the, you had this institution where young people were actually making the content and making the jokes for other young people. Yeah, I guess so. And that's how it felt because it was all a big joke to us. In, in like, uh, not, not, it was all a big in-joke you know, like, because we would sort of try to make the crew laugh and sort of it, we would all get in on it. Everyone really loved working on Cheese TV because, you know, you have a lot of cameramen that work at Channel 10 that just have to position the camera for the news and then they leave it there and that's all they basically have to do. But but with Cheese TV, they could get the camera on their shoulder and zoom in and, and zoom out. Like, everyone played a part in it to make it what it was and it was all of these tiny little elements that I look back on and think, yeah, it, like, it really worked having the camera on the shoulder and coming in and him panning over there and there because I could sort of pull faces. I could sort of – and we had the monitors set up so that we could see ourselves back. So I was always aware of what the viewer would be seeing. So I would always use that knowledge – to sort of get comedy out and that. But Mark the sound man came in at one point. He sort of started coming in and going, oh, I don't know about that, boys, you know, and he, his character grew, grew, and then he was coming in all of the time and he became a character unto himself, which was a really nice flavour because if Jade and I were ever off, sort of going off the rails, which we did a hell of a lot, right, <laughs> Mark the sound man would come in and go, oh, boys, oh, I think, it, you know, and he would come in and do his thing. And the great... A pleasure and great fortune is that Mark the Soundman himself was a really funny guy. You know, he was a really funny guy. I remember doing the show, like when Idol started, uh, we yeah. were brought on to come and visit you guys. And and I remember, because obviously I watched you guys, I watched you at home. I can't believe some of the things that you did got to air. <laughs> some of the stuff yeah. that got to air, I'm like, wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> There's something about having a kid's show or doing a kid's show where you really want to skirt that boundary. If you have that funny bone, you really want to see what you can get away with and feel around here and use innuendos and that kind of thing. And you know what? The funny thing is that everyone got in on that, even the censor. Like the censor would always smile at me when I walked past her office. You know, she had like a glass door kind of thing. And I would always sort of smile at her and she'd be always like, you know, I'm onto you kind of thing, but in a friendly way. I think I kind of basically gave her some work because there wasn't much that Sandra Sully was saying that they had to sort of stop her and say, hey, you can't say that, right? But 
Yeah, no, a lot of that was intentional and a lot of that was unintentional. We might just accidentally say something that would slip through. But the real fun for us was we didn't, I like I didn't personally see it as a kid's show. To me, it was like a little, it was a bit of, it was a bit of pantomime. It was it was sort of some acting and, and comedic sort of stuff that I was trying to make universal. You know, I wasn't being wacky for the kids. I was being wacky because that's what I did, you know, like that's what I could do. And I wanted to sort of do my best as the host of GTV. Like I always felt more like an actor than a presenter. I always felt like I, I was given the job of pretending to be a presenter. Because uh, you guys, to me, are presenters. You're very professional. You're always sort of thinking a step ahead. You know what I mean? You can really keep things together, even right now. You know, you're letting me sort of talk, but I'm pretty sure that you're pretty switched on to what has to come next and all that sort of stuff. Where I'm not like that. I'm better as just a comic relief. But to me, yeah, it, it wasn't, net, it didn't have to just be a kid's show. So we would have adults, like we'd have the parents coming up sort of saying, oh, I really like what you do. And, oh, it's so, you know, it's very funny. And a lot of people sort of uh, made the link between us, especially British people, made the link between us and, say, Ant and Deck or like Morecambe and Wise, who are a, a duo who I was a big fan of because my parents introduced them to me. They were an old British act. And one guy was the straight guy and the other one was kind of the idiot, you know. So I used a lot of that as as inspiration, and then it was smooth sailing. But very early on, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was our our Uber producer and one of my sort of mentors over the years, Ben Richardson, or it might have even been Osh, said to me, like, you just got to know how you're going to get out of it. That's all you need to do. And by that, uh, they meant, am I getting to an ad break? Am I throwing to a singer? Am I throwing to someone else and my getting to a music video like all I ever concentrated on or really needed to know was how does this segment end and if you've got that locked in I always felt like you had confidence to go anywhere and take it in any direction and make any gag that was probably the best advice I ever got doing live tv who told me that it was, I think it was either Craig Bruce or Rex Morris up in radio in Brisbane. I think they might have even used it like, mate, you're like a Navy SEAL. Know how you're getting out before you get in. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, that, absolutely. It yeah. just always. Did you guys ever have moments like that that you remember personally where it's like, do you remember that time where I said that accidentally and I came in and saved you? Is there anything like that out there? My entire career is James saving my ass on <laughs> right, <my television>. right. <laughs> cool. I don't know if that's entirely true, but we had a, a great understanding, you know, and, and I think it came, people think it was very natural, but I think it was partly just years and hours together, you know. At, at one stage we were doing, you know, five days a week on Channel V doing the request show and then we would do Idol on the other two days. So we were doing just 15 hours of live TV a week at least. together, if not more. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and you're right. You spoke about it, it forges a sort of unique relationship between you two guys. People would always ask, like, do you guys hang out? you know, outside of work, and I'd be like, no, fuck no. I, I see the guy more than literally any other person <laughs> on earth, more than my family, more than my girlfriend, it's this guy. And so it didn't take away from the, the closeness of the relationship, but it was just like, all right, let's see you. <laughs> I'll see you on Monday, yeah, dude. Yeah. 18 hours until I see you again. 
Well, Jade and I didn't spend that much time together, you know. So we were, I mean, very close friends when we were doing cheese, actually. So it wasn't just an on-screen relationship, but that's different because if you guys are doing like 18 hours, right, like that's that's it. You know, you, you don't want to see each other until the next shoot. That's enough. Mm. Uh, Jade and I were doing, you know, pretty much one day a week pretty much doing cheese TV because the segments were so short. We would just do, knock them all down in, in one day. So we would hang out with each other, um, you know, when we weren't doing cheese or we'd call each other up and have a laugh and that. So... We always had a really good relationship like that. You, you did a lot of, towards the, the latter part, as you guys got more and more skilled and more and more trusted, you you started to really lean into parodies and parodying music videos, parodying everything else that was on television that the kids who watched you would see. One of the people that you were merciless with was the darling of the network, Rove McManus. Yeah. Was there any heat from the way you ripped off Rove. It's interesting that you say that, and a lot of people have asked me that. Basically, we were taking the mickey out of everyone, you know, and he was one of them. But maybe they thought it was a bit much because we were sort of taking him off now and then, you know, parodying him and stuff like that and doing Rove Live. But it, I think it, there was just sort of a rumour going around that there was something to that when there wasn't at all. I mean, I will rem- I remember when I went up to Steve Irwin because his film was coming out and I was going to interview him the next day. And so I had an invite to his film and, and I saw him, you know, uh, after the film and he was like signing autographs or whatever and I said, we're interviewing you tomorrow. And he goes, oh, go easy on me, mate. And I thought that was such a sweet thing for him to say. Where, it, And I just sort of thought, man, I really hope that you don't think that we're like doing anything mean-spirited with this stuff. Because I cried twice when he died. Like I was a big fan of Steve Irwin. And here I, here I was just crying that he'd gone. So there was never anything malicious at all about that sort of stuff. Uh, it's possible that there was like a, a rumor going around about it. But I think if there was anything wrong with it, you know, like the 10 would have come down and said, hey, you've got to stop doing this. And they never did. You know, like it was it was all just a, a big bunch of fun. And I hope that that came across because when Steve said, you know, I'll, I'll get, go easy on me, mate, I started thinking, is this coming across as mean spirited what we're doing? Because you, you do know we're just having a bit of fun here, right? You know, like a P- <laughs> I used to Peter a take off Peter Cundall from Gardening Australia. <laughs> time, like he became an essential character on the show, like all the time. Like, and apparently I heard on the grapevine that he hated it. You know, like and I can totally understand, but the fact was I felt an affinity with that character. You know how you you. You dress up a certain way because my parents are from Liverpool, right? So they've I've got this British kind of leaning. I kind of get that kind of humour, and I, I would do the Yorkshire accent, and I would do I, I would send him up, and he he had like a little bit of my dad in him as well when I would do Peter Cundall, completely made up character. But again, there wasn't anything mean spirited about me taking him off. It wasn't a piss take of him. It was a piss take of his parody that we sort of took to the road and became. You know, it became popular. But uh, no, there was nothing, anything like that at all regarding Rove. We even went on his radio show a few years ago, you know, and he was really cool. We'd met him a few times and he was always very nice. I, I think that was part of the beauty of those skits. It always felt like 
there was a, a gentleness and a good humor in it. It was never biting or menacing. It was like, let's laugh, not at you, but with you at the whole ridiculousness of the industry itself and of the of, of shows that we're doing. So wait, when, when you guys did us, were you Osha? I think I was you. Yeah. Um, and Jade was Osha. Yeah, and, there was quite uh, a wig situation. <laughs> well, we had them <laughs> lying around, right? We had to use them. Yeah, we did, you guys. And you know what? I actually heard, and, and this only came to me, I did hear from my producer many years ago when we were doing the show that apparently they were, Channel 10, were thinking of us to host Idol. But, but the producer said, but apparently they don't trust you. And I said, what? You know, like... And now, look, I can – look, it's only speculation. I don't know whether it's true or not, but um, I guess I can understand in a way. I think that we were probably still a little bit immature for it, to be honest with you. And secondly, they were probably a little bit worried maybe about how what we were doing was kind of going to maybe detract from the purpose of the show, which was the singers and the talent in a way, right? What about the nostalgia, Ryan? Do you think we'll see a, a reunion? Will there be some sort of a podcast, uh, and, uh, a live show in the future just to milk every last drop of young Australians' memories? That's what we pretty much did around four years ago. That what happened was uh, a guy got in touch with me because he wanted to do a podcast and he was very nice. He, he, he got in touch with me uh, over email and said, listen, there's a lot of uh, people out there that want to know how you're doing and, you know, what happened with Cheese and, you know, you, suddenly you were just gone out of our lives, you know, uh, would you like to come on? And I kind of thought that would be nice. It would be nice kind of a, a therapeutic to just come on and have a long-form podcast like I'm doing with you guys where I don't really have to sort of entertain or anything like that and just sort of be myself and, and talk. Uh and he was really cool. And I brought up the fact that I had boxes and boxes of VHS tapes all with Cheese TV on them that I I just hadn't even looked at for ages, you know. And he said, send them to me and I'll, I'll transfer them. And I said, yeah, perfect, because I do not want to do that, right? So I sent them to him. He lived in Melbourne. And he had the idea of putting up a, like an official Cheese TV Facebook page. And I said, yeah, sure, man, go for it. Why not? Um, so he put up the page and within like a week we had like 75,000 likes or followers or whatever. And so it was pretty big, you know, I mean, he thought that it was pretty big because none of us really expected that to happen. Um, so Jade and I sort of dusted ourselves, you know, off and started doing radio on that. And it was pretty much like we'd never left in a way. It felt so familiar, the whole thing, you know, we just hadn't done it in a long time. And we did Supernova and we hosted uh, Soap Pop and a lot of different things, made heaps of appearances everywhere. The issue was really that Jade and I had different views on what we should do with it. Uh, and I felt that if we were going to come back and do something, it should be something better than what we'd already done. And I'd sort of written these scripts. They were like sitcoms just in case anything like this ever came up, we would have something to do. Uh, but Jade wasn't really into that idea. So I, I found myself nagging him all the time. I had these scripts written. I had a director ready to to look at it and, and a script editors that thought it was great, you know, like, let's do it. But, um, but Jade sort of wanted to do different things. And after a while, that became just, it became really difficult. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just the way it is. I thought we should go that way. He thought we should go that way. So... 
it never really materialized into anything. We did Twitch, which was really fun. We had a really, really great opening on Twitch. Uh, and we had a guy helping us out who's a lovely fellow. His name's uh, Nathan. And he we did it over at his house, right? And it was great. It was almost like doing Cheese TV again. But to me, inside, I was going, I kind of already done this. Does mm. that make sense? You know, I've sort of, I've done this. And and uh, so many people tuning in was was Right. I mean, we had like 20,000 plus people tuning into Twitch, which is kind of unusual. Apparently, it was one of the biggest Twitch debuts in Australia at some point, apparently, which is just odd. But um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't really want to go back and do exactly the same thing that we'd done before unless it was tight and better. And, you know, Jade and I were officially a duo that, that did something with substance. So we did a podcast for a while. But it was weird because we were doing it ourselves. You know that feeling of doing a podcast where it's just you and say say you and Osha doing a podcast in a big empty room at your house, having to record it and all of that. It, it, it we did it, but it didn't feel right, you know. Um, so in regards to a cheese TV reunion, look, I guess it would be nice, but it's almost like we've already kind of been there, done that in a way. It's like I think that's all you get, folks, you know. Um, so I might just do my own podcast at some point. You guys have been very encouraging. <laughs> well, oh, she's been at it for a while. He only had to like nag me for five to six years. I can understand that. No, I can totally understand that. Especially say with all of the technical details and how all of it's going to be marketed and all that sort of stuff. Like it's, uh, for me, whenever I started to do that stuff, I felt my creative energy was being sapped. It's like I'm putting so much into just positioning these microphones and making sure that I've pressed record and this and this and that, that I can't really let loose and fly. That's the reason that I came to Adrian's place today to do the podcast here because he's got this great setup and I can just go for it without worrying about all of this stuff, you know? Yeah. With anything, I think there's going to be shit that we all suck at. But for everything that we suck at, there are people out there who are amazing at the shit that we suck at. But because we are so terrible in those parts, we can't even, this is how my brain works, I can't even imagine there would be someone who not only excels but revels in doing the shit that I, A, hate or B, am terrified by. But they're out there. They're out there for everything in your life that seems like a massive hurdle or impenetrable. You just got to find a way to tap into those people who for them it's like, I love this shit. Why didn't you ask me? You're absolutely right. And it's, it's interesting you say that because there was a lot of people that were coming out of the woodworks when we sort of made our triumphant return that were willing to help us, that were very, very, very helpful and very good-hearted. And did a lot of things for free for us, including Adrian, for instance, that, that came on board and wanted to help us out. Uh, so, yeah, you, you're reminded that there really is a lot of good people out there that are really good at this shit. You just kind of need to put up a, a distress flag, you know. You need to sort of just uh, wait for them to come to you and, and utilize their services, right? But I look, what you were saying before about... Uh, not wanting to do the podcast and having to convince, you know, Jimmy over a very long period of time to do it at all is similar to what I was doing with Jade. You know, I really want saw us as these, this little sitcom thing, 
you know, where we come out and we just bicker like two two old women and you know what I mean? Like we uh, and we get we go on these stupid little adventures. It's kind of like a Seinfeld thing where one thing happens and the next happens and we're right in the middle of this tornado kind of thing each each you know, and I thought that that would be good enough. You know, it's all written, it's all done. Probably needs some, you know. In fact, I sent it to um, Jan Stradling. Do you know her? Do you know Jan? Yeah, sent it to her because she's she works at the ABC and she's always been very, very sober minded. She's one of those people that's just very smart. So I, you know, I took it to some script editors and they were all like, great. And so I'm always like, no, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear what's wrong with it. Really, tell me. I want to know because I know there's something. And Jan sort of sent back some really great feedback sort of saying, you know, the middle bit drags a bit. I'm like, yes, it does. It does. That's what it is, you know. But uh, but uh, Jade, yeah, I mean, he just sort of wasn't into that idea. I nagged him for about six years or more to try and do something and, you know, he's he's happy and he's doing what he wants to do and I don't need to nag him anymore. When you think about the people that grew up with you, when you think about the people that watched you, when you look at those people and the people younger than them, people who might have been only like eight or ten, when you look at them and you think about, you know, what you were like when that age and you look at them now, like how do you feel? Hmm, yeah. Um, it's hard to sort of tell, really. Um, I, I feel honoured, really, and I feel kind of a little bit undeserving because the reception that we get has been so positive and I'm one of those people that doesn't really feel like they deserve that kind of thing. You know, I'm very real. I mean, one of the first things I said to you was it's like a lottery getting on TV. It's like winning the lottery. And for me, the fa- the relationship that I had with Jade and all of that was beautiful for the screen and for what it was. And the fact that those people enjoyed enjoyed it and got it and have gone to bat for us, I mean – the, the I think Channel 10 shut down once because 50,000 people all sent emails to Channel 10 to try and get us back, you know, on TV, on Cheese TV. These are the kind of people that are just, I mean, what can you say? They're just fantastic, great people. You know, just, uh, and I think that's what I was saying before about the Supernova thing. We got to meet a lot of them. They would come up to us and we would have a bit of a chat to them and that, and they're just all lovely. So, um, I'm glad that we've left a good legacy there. Can I, before you go, ask you one question? And I, I want you to be really honest, if you can. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what the fuck is going on in Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, is it deliberately convoluted and confusing? <laughs> is something lost in translation? And look, I know exactly what you mean, right? I, I do. Um, there's so many subplots and things going on at, at the same time, and the fact that it's all sort of infused together with the, with this uh, with these energy battles and all sorts of stuff. I, I really don't know. See, I'm not as uh, dedicated to it as a lot of fans out there of Dragon Ball Z, right? And they they think that I'm like the Mother Teresa of Dragon Ball Z that I know everything about it, you know, because I'm the one that aired it, you know. <laughs> but you're like, guys, I just fast forward to the bits that I It is. It is a little bit. Right? I know <laughs> lots about it, just not as much as I should know, right? At first when we were doing the show, we would have to kind of refer to what had happened in the cartoon. So we would have to actually watch the cartoons at first to make sure we were keeping up with it so we could comment on it. But after a while, we just started saying, oh, fuck it, let's just forget that. 
So, yeah, so uh, we didn't know what was going on with the cartoons. We, it would be someone that would be telling us what had just happened. So they would feed us a line like, say, oh, my God, what happened with Goku then? And we'd come and go, oh, my God, what happened with Goku then? You know, so I really needed to get back into it so I can keep up with the Dragon Ball Z fanatics out there because I'm way out of date. I need to, I need to keep up. It's interesting talking to a guy like that, Jim, because there's never going to be a morning cartoon TV show ever again. That's gone. It's over. And he was probably the last guy to kind of really effectively do it, isn't he? Because well, iPhones came out two years later and then... Then YouTube and then that's it. You just Kids just do a, an infinite scroll on YouTube. Yeah. That's, that's what's resigned to history, mate. Or nostalgia. Or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I like the idea, you know, realising the shit that you are terrible at. The shit that we're all terrible yeah. at. And instead of obsessing about it and labouring about, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. There's no way I'd be able to get this off the ground. I'm not going to be able to publish this book or write this song or complete this hobby or start this market store because I don't know how to do this bit. There's always going to be shit that you don't know how to do. There's always going to be stuff that you're terrible at and just reaching out and putting your hand up and finding those people who can fill in those little gaps of the skill set that you don't have, it's just, it's the key to almost anything. And just that underestimation of how many people are awesome at the stuff that you suck at is a, is a great revelation. And, and just tapping them on the shoulder, getting them to help you with a favour, paying them a little bit, finding someone on Fiverr, there are ways to inch yourself forward to achieving all the awesome things you want to get done. So You're absolutely right because a lot of those people, like they don't have the skills that you have. And in fact, they're like just waiting for someone to come along who's like, yeah, look, I just wish I knew someone who was good at this thing because then I could do the thing that I love. And don't deny them that. Don't deny the both of you that. You're absolutely right. We have this idea that we have to do it all ourselves. Nothing. Nobody does anything all themselves, except if you're, you know, Alex Honnold, then you really did do it all yourself. You really did climb up El Capitan by yourself with no ropes. But everybody else has other people helping. Yeah. But I mean, Alex doesn't make that film without the incredible filmmaker by his side, you know, and no one knows about really Alex if we don't have those uh, incredible cameraman and there's incredible producers putting together something that takes what he does which is a real personal intimate sport and exposes us to to the art form that it is and that by him tapping into that incredible filmmaker skills that then get exposed to other people and there's some kid who's like oh my god i want to be the next free solo climber you know we've got to lean on each other and tap into each other's gifts and skills. And and part of us wants to be like, oh, no, I did that all myself because the, the, the self and the ego is so um, relentless in its seeking of validation. But if we can let go of that and get into that space of like, ah, it's just something that I created, something that was created and was meant to be created and was done as a collective, that's kind of how we're doing this, you know? 
I wouldn't have done this without you. And I could not do it without you. James, I, uh, you're the best. Um, and who knew we would get that revelation from chatting with Ryan from Chiefs TV? That was great. What a great chat. That was really cool. All right, man. That's it. That's the show. Thanks heaps to Bree Steele, our producer, Daryl Misson, our audio director, Toa Hyder, who made the music, James Matheson's microphone, and James as well. I fixed it. I fixed it. All right, people have been saying, why is the audio so shit? I've been using the wrong setting. I'm not very good at this. I'm sorry. Working it out. Tapping into other people because we tapped into somebody else and the other person said, hey. And guess what happened? Tap, tapity, tap. Tap, tapity, tap, tap, tap. Idleaustralians at gmail.com if you need us. Uh, We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. That's the best thing you can do for us. Listener.